You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 10. And again, remain standing if you are able. Beginning in verse 16. Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, How much more will they malign those of his household? So, verse 26, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Beloved, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. We are continuing in our study of the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and we come to more vital instruction on the topic of Christian mission. There are a lot of different Jesuses out there. You know what I mean? There are different versions of him. And so if you're following a Jesus who makes your experience generally trouble-free, it may be that you're not following the real Jesus. If you find that following Jesus really insulates you from the hurts and pains of others, my guess is that you're not following the Jesus of the New Testament. 
Again, there are many Jesuses out there. I think the most prominent Jesus in our context is the American westernized Jesus. Uh, This Jesus has a very low view of holiness and a very high view of comfort. And just to be just candidly honest with you, my flesh loves that Jesus. To have a low view of holiness and a high view of comfort. This Jesus loves to insulate his people from the hurts and pains of others. This Jesus is reluctant to risk taking unless that risk involves some sort of financial return. This Jesus will often inoculate his people with good theology, but will rarely bring them into situations where that theology is tested and forged in suffering. In fact, this Jesus leads people far away from trouble, far away from suffering, far away from trial. Well, as we'll discover this morning, this westernized version of Jesus is on a direct collision course with the Jesus in Matthew's gospel. The word from our time last week through Pastor Al was go. Go, go to the harvest. After you pray to the Lord of the harvest, we go to the harvest of the Lord and we go with the gospel of grace. Freely you've been given, freely you give. We go to neighbor and to nations. We, we go. And if you hear opposition or someone doesn't want to receive you into their household, the instruction is to, to sort of dust your sandals off and move on to the next. We are called to go. And now in our text this week, Jesus is going to further prepare his disciples for what they will encounter along the way. And the first thing that Jesus says, under no uncertain terms, is there will be trouble. If you are following the Jesus of the New Testament and you're following him, there will be trouble. All kinds of trouble. And really, that's the point one in our sermon this morning. There will be trouble. Point two is, why, Jesus? Why will will there be so much trouble? And Jesus answers why there will be so much trouble. And then third, our third movement, Jesus will tell us vital reasons to not be afraid in the midst of trouble. So first, there will be trouble. Notice how Jesus frames this whole section in verse 16. Behold, he says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I like to ask people, particularly kids, uh, what their favorite animal is. It's a good icebreaker. I did this just with the basketball team at Chick-fil-A last week. Hey, what's your, what's your favorite animal, kids? And they love, every, everyone's got one. Like, you don't have to think about it, right? It, and usually lion makes the, the, the top of the list. And I, I, I resonate with that. Uh, lion, right? Bear, tiger. Some, some kids will get creative and say, you know, paragon, falcon. You know, that's the fastest bird in the air. You know, that's my favorite animal. And, and it eat, it's meat and, it, you know, whatever. Never one time in asking this question, 
has anyone ever answered, my favorite animal is a sheep? Never once. And for good reasons, right? Sheep are pathetic. They are remarkably unimpressive animals. They're unimpressive. They don't run fast. They don't jump high. They don't make a cool sound. They look pitiful. They look appetizing, like you just want to eat one. They're unimpressive. So for these reasons and a thousand more, sheep never make the top 10 favorite animal list and yet this is the most common. Now think about how humbling this is. This is the most common animal that Jesus uses to describe his own people. Sheep. Sheep. That's humbling all in and of itself, but what is particularly disturbing in this text is what Jesus says he does with these sheep. This is disturbing. What does he say? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of what? Wolves. So Jesus, let's be clear-eyed about what you are doing. The king has come. And his kingdom is breaking into time and space and a revolution is about to be unleashed on the known planet and the king is about to send out his revolutionaries, his emissaries, his ambassadors and he sends them out as conquering sheep. Well, maybe Jesus will arm them Maybe they're sheep that are sort of packing heat, right? Maybe they got a, a concealed weapon on them. Yeah, they look cute and cuddly, but don't mess with the sheep because they're packing heat. Maybe they're armed sheep. Maybe Jesus will adjust this metaphor for us so that we feel safer among wolves. So what does he arm his people with? Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom. I, behold, I, Jesus says, am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, okay? So be wise. That's what you're armed with. Wisdom, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Our weapon is wisdom. Another scholar writes, quote, we are to remain godly but not gullible. Wise as serpents. Notice with me what is stunningly absent from this revolution. This is a revolution. But notice with me what is stunningly absent. What is absent in this revolution, at this beginning point, is any semblance of force or retaliation. This revolution, according to Jesus, will come by way of God's wisdom, not force, not human effort and force. This will be a non-violent movement. The temptation will be to use force, like Peter, in the garden, lopping off Malchus's ear, 
Peter represents our flesh in that moment. The temptation will always be to use force. The church for 2,000 years has always had this temptation. And our biggest blunders, our biggest scars in church history are when we forget that this is a nonviolent movement and we pick up the dagger again. And Jesus has to come in again into the garden just like he did with Peter and lean down and quietly put Malchus's ear back on. The nonviolent innocence of the church, according to Jesus, must never be mixed with the tactics of the world. In fact, that's what that word innocent means. When he says innocent as doves, that word innocent means unmixed. Unmixed. So in other words, we must never mix our dove-like innocence with human tactics and human wisdom. That is the temptation though. If you're a sheep among wolves, you're looking for something to bash a wolf in. You're looking around and the temptation is always to mix our dove-like innocence with something else. And Jesus is saying, this is a kingdom like no other. And therefore, this will be a revolution like no other. War is easy. This kind of revolution is not. So we are sheep in the midst of wolves, and yet the gates of hell can't prevail against us. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is our weapon. Well, this is fine in theory, maybe even appreciated. The world likes the nonviolent move of the church. Everybody loves the nonviolent Jesus, right? Everybody loves the nonviolent church. This is good in theory, but what about, what about when trouble comes? Like real trouble, not hypothetical trouble, real danger, like life-threatening danger. What then? Well, Jesus goes on in this passage to warn the disciples of the kinds of trouble they will encounter. They will. He's not making suggestions. These are the kinds of troubles that they will encounter, unless we think this is hyperbole or Jesus sort of overstating the case. If you read the book of Acts, this is exactly what the apostles encountered. Exactly. First, Jesus says, you will encounter institutional trouble. Institutional trouble. Look at verse 17. (coughs) Jesus says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in synagogues. Listen to the institution. Courts, synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. That word witness is martus, to a martyr, to be a martyr before them and the Gentiles. My goodness. Jesus just, he's saying to his newly minted disciples, Christians will come against great institutional persecutions and resistance. Kings and governors and courts and synagogues will come against the advancement of the kingdom. Why? Why? Because Jesus' kingdom does not fit the current mold of human wisdom. 
it does not fit. It is a round hole in a square peg. It does not fit the mold of human wisdom. And therefore, Jesus is saying to them and to us, beloved, we should not be shocked when we find institutional resistance to the kingdom of God. His kingdom is not of this world. And so what do we do, Jesus? What do we do when we come up against institutional persecution? Some of those institutions bear the sword. What do we do? Jesus says, speak. Wisdom. Speak God's wisdom. Look at verse 19 and following. When when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The temptation for the church has always been when we come against or come up against institutional persecution, the temptation is to say, do away with institutions. Get rid of them or Christianize them or come up with our own institutions. That is not what Jesus' plan is. No, the answer is for the church to do what the church has always done, to speak the prophetic gospel into a world that is absolutely hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. Yes, make every effort to reform institutions. Praise God, we need good institutions. But what we do as a church today is the same thing the church has done for 2,000 years, to speak prophetically to a culture that is dying and in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to speak prophetically, we need to be independent. And because the gospel of the kingdom is primarily a move of the spirit and not the exertion or the will of man, because it's a move of the spirit, therefore when you are brought before courts, governors, kings, it is the spirit who will fill your mouth in that moment. Jesus says, don't even prepare a speech. In some ways, you've been being prepared your whole life for that moment. I once heard John Piper say, or somebody asked him, how how long does it take you to prepare a sermon like that? And his answer is, my entire life. That's how long. If and when the church comes against institutional persecutions, you do not need to worry about what you will say. The Spirit of God will speak through you. Your whole life has been preparing you for that moment to be prophetic, to share God's wisdom. God's wisdom. And notice again what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, when they flog you, give it right back to them. Ten times harder. He doesn't. He doesn't say, when they scream at you, you scream louder. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. No, there is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is a way of death. The gospel of the kingdom is a nonviolent revolution. Perhaps more devastating than institutional trouble is relational trouble. Look at verse 21 and following, brother, 
will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now how is that for a recruitment strategy? Come and follow Jesus to ensure that all kinds of people, possibly your immediate family, will hate you. Come, follow him. It's one thing to lament a secularizing culture. But it is a whole other thing to be hated by your child or your father or your mother for following Christ. Persecution from a faceless bureaucrat or a policy, maybe we can handle, but the depths of pain when we are betrayed by the ones that we deeply love. You think of Paul. Paul could handle so much persecution from the state, from the sword, but when Demas, his friend, left him, that got him. We can take persecution to some extent from faceless bureaucrats, but when our children, our family, our friends abandon us or betray us or come against us, it is almost too much to bear. And we'll learn more about this next week when Jesus talks about dividing families. Because as much as he is a savior and a friend, he is also a king. As much as Jesus is a savior and a friend, he is also a king. And when he sits upon the throne of one's heart, all allegiances are tested. Even those that are closest to us. So you will come against institutional trouble, relational trouble. Finally, in verse 23, in what appears to be a reference to the Great Commission, Jesus says in verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Like sheep, you just see them like, bah, like just fleeing to the next. Like, okay, don't draw the sword, let's go, just go to the next town. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does that mean? I don't fully know. I take it to mean that there is coming a day, very soon, when the Son of Man will have conquered all of our enemies, Satan, sin, and death, in his glorious resurrection. And after this decisive victory, he will commission all his people to go beyond the cities of Israel and even to the ends of the earth. So, in short, in Christian mission, there will be trouble. There will be trouble of various kinds. But why, Jesus? Why so much resistance? Why? why? I mean, you're the God who splits the seas. You're the way maker. You, why so much wall? Why so much resistance in Christian mission? In other words, why is it so hard Jesus answers that question briefly in verse 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
it is enough, verse 25, for the disciples to be like his teacher, disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, Satan, if they have called the master of the house Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Why, Jesus? Why so much trouble? Uh, because a servant is not greater than his master. And they maligned me. How much more will they malign you? I love this quote from David Pallison. He says this, quote, ministry, or we could say Christian mission, traffics in trouble because Christ enters trouble, lives through trouble, is unafraid of trouble, speaks and acts into trouble. And therefore, struggle forces us to need God. We traffic in trouble because Jesus traffics in trouble. The mission of the church is the mission of Christ through his people. This is not our gig. The mission of Christ is, or the mission of the church is the mission of Christ through his people. Therefore, we must expect trouble if we are following the Jesus of the New Testament because that's where he traffics. He's come into the dark places of the earth. He's come to set captives free. He's come to forgive sinners. He's come to heal the sick. He's come to come into families that are in conflict. He's come to, to the hurt person, the abused person, the forgotten person, that's where he goes. And if we're following him, that's where we'll go too. And if you're following a Jesus that takes you to a place where you're generally apart from those things, I'm guessing that you're not following the Jesus of the New Testament. And I'm with you. My flesh loves the Jesus that leads, leads me to insulation and comfort. But my spirit hates that Jesus. And is at war all the time. A servant is not greater than his master. If they maligned him, they will malign us. Brothers and sisters, they will call you every name in the book for affirming a biblical sexual ethic. Every name in the book. They'll call you every name in the book. If you desire to advocate for those who are oppressed and marginalized in society, let them. Let them. Don't respond in kind. It's not you who they despise, it's Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. You're the servants, I'm the master, they despise me, they'll despise you, they despise you because they despise me. That's why it's so much trouble because Jesus is still trafficking in trouble today. Finally, Jesus gives his disciples reasons, despite all that we have just heard about the resistance and the persecution and the trouble and the, and the danger. Despite all that they have heard, Jesus now gives us reasons why we should not be afraid. And this is what we'll end, verse 26 and following. Jesus says, so have no fear. <laughs> Have no fear of them. Have no fear of who? The wolves. All the different kinds of wolves that want to break open your chest cavity and eat all your internal organs. Have no fear of them. Okay. That was a, that was a bit graphic. I'll, 
I'm just realizing that now. For nothing, this is what Jesus says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear, there it is again, same phrase, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying they won't kill your body. Does that alarm anyone in here? That Jesus says, don't worry, they won't kill your body. He doesn't say that. He says, don't fear the ones that can only kill your body. But instead, fear the one who can kill your body and your soul and send the soul to hell. Fear God. Let the fear of God be the the center of your universe. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore... You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Beloved friends, visitors, this is the wisdom of God. This is the true wisdom of God. The courage of the church does not come from the strength of the sheep, but it comes from the sovereign power and love of the shepherd. Not only does God hold heaven and hell in his hand, but he knows everything about you and he still loves you. The strength of the fold, the strength of the church is not in the strength of the sheep. It's in the sovereign power and love of the shepherd. Fear cannot breathe when these two realities collide. God's sovereignty and his love for you. He's in control of absolutely everything. Every wolf, every institution, every relational fracture. He's in control. He's sovereign over all of that and he loves you. You're of more value than many sparrows. He knows the number of hair on your head. You, fear can't breathe when these two things collide. It has no oxygen. And when I get fearful, one of these two things or both are neglected in my life. I am forgetting that God is in absolute control of everything. And I am also forgetting that he loves me. If I only believe that he's in control of everything, I won't trust him because lots of trouble happens. But if I believe that he's in control of everything and he's good and wise and that he loves me, fear has no more oxygen to breathe. That's why Jesus can say, fear not. The shepherd is sovereign and the shepherd loves you and cares for you. You're of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. Or as it's been said, Be of good cheer, Christian. All that they can do is kill you. (laughs) The very worst thing that can happen to us is death. And yet death, hasn't it been proven that death is no obstacle for our shepherd? 
Finally, let me say this. We do not become bold as lions because we're lions. We do not become bold as lions because we are lions. We become bold because we are walking with the lion. And he goes before us. And when our eyes are on the lion, our courage raises. When we stop taking our, when we take our eyes off the lion and we start to put our eyes on our sheeply little bodies, thinking that we're strong, that's when fear comes. We're not bold as lions because we're lions. I hate that bumper sticker. Oh my gosh, I hate it. We are sheep following the lion and that's what gives us courage to go and die for him. As ambassadors, revolutionaries, emissaries, those that go from the king, we get all of our cues from him. We get all of our cues. How do we respond to this kind of trouble? How do we respond to this kind of persecution and this kind of resistance? We get all of our cues from Jesus. And the church in 2023 must not take the cues from culture and adopt them and say, we're going to take this from Jesus and this from culture and see what happens. No, our innocence must be unmixed. If salt loses its saltiness, how will its saltiness be restored? We have to look to Christ. We get all of our cues from him. And here's what he did. Here's what he did. The lion chose to become a lamb for his friends, for those who were following him, ride or die. No, no. For his enemies. The lion becomes a lamb and he does so. He serves his enemies all the way to death. And that's how he brings forth a revolution that changes the world. He serves his enemies. He doesn't say, friends over here, I serve some way. Enemies over here, I serve this way. No, all were enemies apart from him. All were enemies apart of the cross, apart from Jesus. And he served them to the end. So a servant is not greater than his master. What makes us think our mission ought to be characterized by anything other than service unto death for enemies? That's what we signed up for. When Jesus said to us, oh, you want to follow me? That's good. Take up your cross and follow me into trouble. Follow me into heartache. Follow me into wildernesses where you're, you're going to be tested over and over and over again. Follow me to Romania. Follow me to Ethiopia. Follow me to your neighbor who is just snarky all the time. Follow me to these areas. Follow me. He, Jesus, was persecuted by the state. He was betrayed by those whom he loved. He was torn to pieces by the wolves. Remember what John the Baptist said. Behold, the lion of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Nope. Behold what? The lamb of God 
Oh, but he was a lion. Yes. Who became a lamb all the way to death. And he opened not his mouth. And what he did, as I mentioned, led to the greatest revolution the world has ever seen. Ever seen. No shots fired. No military tactics. No forceful removal of dictators. That would have been good, in my view. Take Nero out. Take him out. Forcefully take him out. No. I'll just convert Constantine later. Unbelievable. No shots fired, and yet, right in this very moment, Jesus sits on the everlasting throne of God and commands the allegiance of billions and billions of people. That is who we represent to the world. That is who we go and die for. That is who we go and set our our pride aside and engage the world. What we hear whispered, we go to the rooftops because we're walking with the lion who became a lamb. So without fear, without fear, and instead filled with Christ's compassion for the lost, let us proclaim this on the rooftops. Let me pray. Father, I am so challenged by my love of comfort. I love my little cul-de-sac I know it's not wrong. Cul-de-sacs aren't bad. But I feel you are calling me and us to be risk takers. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh God, we want to be on mission with you. We want to be on mission with you, Jesus, the real Jesus, the New Testament Jesus. Help us, Spirit, convince us that this is right. Convince us that it's, it's worth losing everything. Convince me. In Jesus' name, amen.